0: Hello, friends. It's a new day on the One Year Bible Tour Guide podcast. Today is January 9th. My name is David McAdam, pastor and Bible teacher at New Life Community Church in Concord, Massachusetts, and I have the privilege of reading the scriptures with you no matter where you are situated in the world. We're making progress reading through the book of Genesis in the Old Testament and the Gospel of Matthew in the New Abraham is a prototype believer, and he is learning how important it is to trust and obey the word of the Lord. Let's get started with Genesis chapter 20, where we read about Abraham and Sarah as they journey to Gerar, where Sarah is taken by Gerar's king, Abimelech. We start with verse 1, and I'm reading from the ESV, the English Standard Version. From there, Abraham journeyed toward the territory of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur, and he sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said of Sarah his wife, She is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night, and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Now Abimelech had not approached her. So he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? Did he not himself say to me, She is my sister? And she herself said, He is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands I have done this. Then God said to him in the dream, Yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart, and it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore I did not let you touch her. Now then, return the man's wife for he is a prophet, so that he will pray for you, and you shall live. But if you do not return her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. So Abimelech rose early in the morning, and called all his servants, and told them all these things. And the men were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? And how have I sinned against you? that you have brought on me in my kingdom a great sin. You have done to me things that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What did you see that you did this thing? Abraham said, I did it because I thought, there is no fear of God at all in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife." And when God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, This is the kindness you must do to me. At every place to which we come, say of me, He is my brother." Then Abimelech took sheep and oxen, and male servants and female servants, and gave them to Abraham, and returned Sarah his wife to him. And Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. To Sarah he said, Behold, And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me, everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. And the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. So she said to Abraham, So Abraham rose early in the morning, and took bread and a skin of water, and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder, along with the child, and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of 'er Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bow-shot, for she said, Let me not look on the death of the child." And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water, and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy, and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with a bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him in the land of Egypt. At that time Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. Now therefore swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my descendants or with my posterity, but as I have dealt kindly with you, so you deal with me, and with the land where you have sojourned. And Abraham said, I will swear. Then Abraham reproved Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized. Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing, you did not tell me, and I have not heard of it until today. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two men made a covenant. Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock apart. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs that you have set apart? He said, These seven ewe lambs you will take from my hand, that this may be a witness for me that I dug this well. Therefore that place was called 'er Beersheba, because there both of them swore an oath. So they made a covenant at 'er Beersheba. Then Abimelech and Phicol the commander of his army, rose up and returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. Chapter 22 The Sacrifice of Isaac After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. He said, And he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram, caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, The Lord Will Provide. As it is said to this day, On the mountain of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven, and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. Now after these things it was told to Abraham, Behold, Milcah has also borne children to your brother Nahor, Uz his firstborn, Buz his brother, Kemuel the father of Aram, Chesed, Hazo, Pildash, Jidlof, and Bethuel. Bethuel fathered Rebekah. These eight, Milcah bore to Nahor, Abraham's brother. Moreover his concubine, whose name was Ruamah, bore Teba, Gaham, Tahash, and Mahakah. So let's reflect upon today's reading. As we read the full story of Abraham in the book of Genesis, we can't help but notice a weakness in his character. When he feared his personal safety, he sometimes would lie to protect himself. Abraham's sin nature was bent towards acts of self-interest and self-preservation. Although he loves and believes God, his obedience is partial and his behavior is far from perfect. In Genesis chapter 20, Abraham lies to King Abimelech. He hides the fact that Sarah is his wife and tells Abimelech that she is his sister. This is a half-truth, therefore it is a half-lie. Sarah is actually his half-sister in Genesis 20 verse 12 from another mother his fear of Abimelech prompts him to practice a deceit that he and Sarah planned many years earlier according to Genesis chapter 20 verse 13 Abraham would break the ninth commandment and give a false witness about his wife Abimelech not knowing Sarah was married takes her to be his own God intervenes before Abimelech can touch her he speaks to Abimelech in a dream calling Abraham a prophet and calling Abimelech to restore Sarah to Abraham or die in Genesis 20 verse 7 this is the second time that Abraham tells a high official this lie about his wife in Egypt he told Pharaoh and his officials that Sarah was his sister withholding the fact that he was married to her this violation of integrity brought plagues on the house of Pharaoh in Genesis 12 verses 10 to 20 lies bring trouble nevertheless God is gracious and faithful to his covenant commitment to Abraham. The good news is that God uses imperfect people. He continues to work in Abraham's life and test his love and obedience. In chapter 21, Isaac is born. The Lord did for Sarah what he had promised in Genesis 21.1. Sarah's laughter of unbelief is turned to the laughter of rejoicing, she could say what Mary, the mother of Jesus, would say 2,000 years later, For the Mighty One has done great things for me. In Luke 1, verse 48. As Isaac grew up, he had to face the mocking of Hagar's son, Ishmael. In the New Testament, we will see how Isaac is a type of the spirit, and Ishmael is a type of the flesh. In Galatians chapter 4, verses 22-31. Isaac is the child of promise. Ishmael is the child of a failure of faith. Sarah represents a ministry of grace. Hagar represents the old covenant of the law that brings forth the works of the flesh and results in bondage. The flesh will mock the spirit. The spirit and the flesh are in conflict with each other. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, for these are in opposition to one another. We read that in Galatians 5, verse 17. And so were Ishmael and Isaac in opposition to each other. A Christian is born again by the Holy Spirit and by God's grace, not through any justifying works of the flesh or slavish attempts to conform to the law. Therefore the Christian is to trust God's promise, Jesus Christ, and rely on the Holy Spirit and put away the carnal imitations of religious conformity and legalism that devalues the work of the Spirit. Just as Sarah demanded that Hagar and Ishmael be put away, the new covenant of God's grace demands that the old covenant of religious striving in the flesh be put away. By the works of the law, no one can be justified. Of course, that doesn't mean that the Old Testament is not relevant. It just means that we are in a new relationship to the law, and we do not rely on law-keeping to justify ourselves before God. God does not abandon Hagar and his son. When they are in the wilderness with a failing water supply, the Lord opens her eyes and enables her to see that God's amazing grace has provided for her a well of life-saving water. God was with the lad and blessed him in Genesis 21.20 and would make him the father of the Arab nations. God's ear is available to the heart cry of all nations. As God blesses Abraham and Isaac, He has the blessing of Ishmael and all the nations in view. For through the promised seed, all the families or nations of the earth will be blessed. In Genesis 12:13. In Genesis 22, we have a foreshadowing of the gospel of Christ as Abraham, the father, takes his son, his only son, to the mountains of Moriah. Moriah literally means scene of God, or center stage. In an act of love and obedience, Abraham places Isaac on the altar of sacrifice. This location is the same shelf of rock where God the Father will send His only begotten Son to be sacrificed on the altar of the cross. This geographical area is the same as the threshing floor of Aruna in Second Kings 24, which David the King purchased, not without cost, out of a love for God, and this would one day become the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. This geographical area is the same as Mount Calvary, where Jesus was crucified. When Isaac and Abraham reached the top of the mountain, Isaac asked, Where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide Himself the lamb for the burnt offering. This was a prophetic statement. Although Abraham was asked to put Isaac on the altar, God's plan had been settled from before the foundation of the world. He had provided a substitute for Isaac on the altar. Who was that substitute? The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, Jesus Christ in John chapter one verse twenty nine. When Abraham bound his son and laid him on the altar, and stretched out his knife to slay his son, he did it in faith, knowing that God had sworn by himself and ratified his promise with a covenant, that he would bring forth a nation from his seed. Therefore Abraham believed that if God required his son to be slain, God would have to raise him from the dead. He believed that both he and Isaac would return. In Genesis twenty two five. Hebrews chapter 11 bears that out, in verses 17 to 19. By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, In Isaac your descendants shall be called. He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. And this is the final test in Abraham's developing faith. Would he trust the Lord's promise when he did not know when it would come to pass, how it would come to pass, where or why it would come to pass? Finally, the Lord was providing the answer when. He said, take now. He was telling Abraham whom to take, your only son whom you love. He was telling him where to go, to the land of Moriah and one of the mountains of which I will tell you. Do we trust the Lord when we do not know the details, when we do not know the who, what, where, how, why, and when? Will we go on trusting like Abraham? Abraham was tested and proved that he could trust God even when he did not know where he was going. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8 reads, By faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance and he went out not knowing where he was going. Abraham was tested and proved that he could trust God even when he did not know how God would bring it to pass. In Genesis 15, verse 7, The Lord says to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess it. He said, O Lord God, how may I know that I will possess it? Abraham was tested and proved that he could trust God even when he did not know when God would bring about his promise. But could he trust God when he did not know why? On the mountains of Moriah, Abraham submits to the God whom he loves. The God whom he believes raises the dead. As Abraham raises the knife and stretches out his hand to slay his son, the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven. He said, Do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked and saw God's provision of a substitute for Isaac. He saw the ram caught in the thicket. But the gospel causes us to see a greater substitute, God's sinless substitute, who willingly and freely will lay down his life. Now we will read from the New Testament as Jesus continues his Sermon on the Mount, beginning with Matthew 7, verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes, or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And every one who hears these words of mine and does not do them Jesus is talking about hypocrites, those who are self-deceived, religious pretenders who say, Lord, Lord, do many miraculous works in His name, but have no saving relationship with Him. Their lack of divinely produced fruit betrays their false profession of allegiance to Christ, for Jesus sees their lives as lawless, meaning that there is nothing of that inward life that seeks to glorify God, to love Him, serve Him, love His people, his commandments, or love the lost. The Lord Jesus is not just the role model of the Christian life. He is the Christian life. The Christian life is not difficult. It is impossible. And the only one who can live it is Jesus Christ. So we see that this summary of the Sermon on the Mount is that the Christian life is available to us only through Jesus Christ. And it's only through Heeding his word and his invitation to believe upon him that we shall be wise and escape judgment rather than foolish and come under the great judgment, the great fall of a house built on sand. Jesus came that we might have life, John 10.10. This implies that we do not have it and cannot have it apart from him giving it to us. He said that he is the life. He said that the life is in himself, in John 5.26. The Apostle John echoes this truth, saying that the life is in the Son, in 1 John 5.11. He who has the Son has the life, he who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. The Apostle Paul also emphasizes that this is the truth about the Christian life. Christ is our life, in Colossians 3.3. 3. For to me to live is Christ, in Philippians 1.21 and that's why we're called to abide in Him and bring forth the fruit of His Spirit. In John 15.4 and Galatians 5.22 Jesus is the living standard for living the Christian life. By virtue of His indwelling life through the Spirit, we are no longer living as those who are lawless or living as a law unto ourselves. For we live according to the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus in Romans 8.2, which is also called the royal law of love in James 2.8 and the perfect law of liberty, in James chapter 1, verse 25. Now for today's reading from the book of Psalms, Psalm 9, verses 1 to 12. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. When my enemies turn back, they stumble and perish before your presence. For you have maintained my just cause. You have sat on the throne, giving righteous judgment. You have rebuked the nations. You have made the wicked perish. You have blotted out their name for ever and ever. The enemy came to an end in everlasting ruins. Their cities you rooted out. The very memory of them has perished. But the Lord sits enthroned for He has established his throne for justice and he judges the world with righteousness. He judges the peoples with uprightness. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Sing praises to the Lord, who sits enthroned in Zion. Tell among the peoples his deeds. For he who avenges blood is mindful of them. He does not forget the cry of the afflicted. Psalm 9 and 10 together follow an acrostic pattern, each stanza beginning with the successive letters of the Hebrew alphabet. In the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, Psalm 9 and 10 form one psalm. This psalm serves to give us the big picture and reminds us not to forget God's promised outcome. It starts out with magnificent praise and then calls to mind that in the end the Lord will be the judge of all. Psalm 9, verse 8, And he will judge the world in righteousness. He will execute judgment for the peoples with equity. It is a great picture of God bringing history to its rightful conclusion, and repentant sinners to their merciful salvation in Christ. And those who know your name will put their trust in you, for you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. In verse 10. And now we read from the book of Proverbs, chapter 2, verses 16 to 22. And here we have some wise advice to avoid temptation. Beginning with verse 16. So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down to death and her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. So you will walk in the way of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous, For the upright will inhabit the land and those with integrity will remain in it but the wicked will be cut off from the land and the treacherous will be rooted out of it in this section of proverbs we see that the forbidden woman the strange woman is really representing the world system or the temptation of the evil one or those that are leaning on their own understanding rather than the word of god so this is the wise advice that we walk in the light of God's Word. Walk in the way of good men and keep to the paths of the righteous. So let's pray. Lord, search us and know us to see if there's any wicked way in our lives where we're compromising our obedience. Lord, if we are skirting the truth in any area of our lives, such as in our conversations as Abraham did in Egypt with Abimelech, or if we are not properly esteeming the needs of others, as Abraham did when he showed such disregard for his wife, we ask that your Holy Spirit would bring conviction and repentance to our hearts. Thank you for investing in our education and testing the sufficiency of all that you've promised us in Christ Jesus. Help us to trust you and follow you when we do not know the why, the where, the when, or the how. May we put all on the altar, trusting you to fulfill your every promise in your time, your way, in your power, the power of your resurrection and your life. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's been a blessing to be reading the Word of God together with you today. And God willing, we'll be back tomorrow as we press on with the one-year Bible tour. I always like to remind you that we provide a free service Sending out a daily email with a written copy of our commentary on each day's reading with color maps, charts, and illustrations that folks find helpful. You can subscribe to this free email by going to our website, newlife.org. And you can always contact us by email as our email address is podcast at newlife.org. We are happy to answer your questions, receive your feedback and comments, or learn more about how we can be praying for you. Also, you can help us in our mission to spread the Word of God through this podcast by indicating it's a blessing to you, subscribing wherever you get your podcasts, leaving a review, or giving us a like. We trust that the rest of your day be full of inspiration and that you will seize each moment as a gift from God and share the joy. May the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Shalom.